morning. Welcome. For those of you visiting this morning, my name is Matt, and I am not our normal preacher, so if you don't like me too much, please come back next week. Um, we do welcome you, as Joshua mentioned, to this Celebration Sunday. This is something we're doing monthly now, but this is a time where we, as a church body, uh, do this regularly. We have baptisms if there are any. We will welcome people into membership to committing to being to part of this family. Um, we've been working our way through First Peter. Today we come to the end of the first chapter of Peter. So let me read that to you. We're going to study verses 22 through 25 today. So if you'll turn with me in your Bibles, First Peter 1, 22 through 25. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Let's pray. Our gracious Father above, we are so thankful for the people gathered here today that we know you have brought in your providence into our midst to fellowship, to love, to worship you, to hear your word preached. Bless the lives who will be touched by their fellowship today. Bless our friends and members and attenders who are out due to illness or traveling. Open our hearts to hear your word. In your name we pray. Amen. So, before we get too deep into today's passage, let me kind of recap how Peter got us to these verses. So, Peter is writing, as we've been working our way through 1 Peter, writing to the elect exiles of the dispersion. These are believers who lived many miles away from the epicenter of Christianity where Jesus lived and walked, did his ministry, healed people. Um, And these people heard the gospel brought to them by apostles who were sent out, filled with the Holy Spirit, and preached the word. They shared this good news that Jesus Christ, born a man, was the Son of God. That they, these believers, these exiles, both Jew and Gentile, that they were equally sinners. That not even keeping the Jewish law could atone for their sins. Many heard and believed this news and put their faith in this Jesus of Nazareth. So Peter writes this letter of encouragement to them, this exhortation to encourage them that through the spirit of God, he's also writing to us. We are exiles on this earth as well. He writes to remind them and us that we are blessed, blessed by God who caused us to be born again to a living hope through not just the death, but also the beautiful resurrection of Jesus Christ. And through that death and resurrection, we have an eternal inheritance with him and this promise This inheritance, Peter tells us, is made sure by our faith. So he tells them, rejoice, rejoice in that great hope. He says, even though I know now you might be going through hard times, because this tests and refines your faith. Because you believe, even though you do not now see Jesus, this love and this belief and this faith is your salvation. This salvation which was foretold and prophesied by the ancient prophets Those who walked this land thousands of years ago, who spoke with God, and who were told that they were serving you, as Joshua taught us, serving us, serving you, believer, all of us who believe in the name of Jesus Christ. So Peter, he walks them to this point, reminding them of their salvation, and then he says, now be holy, be sober-minded, do not give in to your former desires, but be like Christ, 
because you, once sinners, were bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And then we get to today's passage, right? So the entire first chapter of 1 Peter is the wind-up. And the pitch is, be holy and love one another. If you go on in 1 Peter, the rest of 1 Peter talks to us about how to be holy and love one another. Remember, this is a single letter from Peter, and there's no chapter and verse division. So this is just going on. The very next sentence of this passage we're looking at today is, you know, 1 Peter 2.1. It says, so put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. These are sins of not being holy and not loving one another. These are sins you commit against your brother or your sister. So we look at today's passage. I don't want us to just take, uh, I mean, I want us to take a special note of the phrase we're looking at today, love one another with a pure heart and earnestly. Those, those key passages right there. So let's start here in verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. That's three distinct phrases there. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. The first one, having purified your souls. First thing that stands out there is it is the hearer doing the purification. This is not an act of justification as we learned about recently in Sunday school, which please note has been moved to Wednesday nights. I'm not sure what we'll be calling that at this time. But we're going through systematic theology by Wayne Gruden. We learned about justification recently. And this is where, as a result of putting our trust in Jesus Christ, he forgives us our sins. We are made pure in God's eyes. We are instantly forgiven for all of our sins, past, present, and future. But that's an act of God towards us. In this case, Peter's talking about our act of obedience to God. To our striving to live, not just for ourselves in our own sinful desires, but to live holy, as is our only acceptable response to that justification. So, that brings us to obedience to the truth. Speaking to these exiles, Peter commends them. He says, you have purified your souls. To what? This is a call to all of us. This is our right. This is our privilege. It's also our righteous response to the forgiveness of these sins. We must strive to put off our former passions and our former desires and our former sinful self. In our sinful nature, we do not desire God. So much of this New Testament is filled with letters from the apostles to the saints talking about how to fight sin, fight lust, fight temptation. Put away your old nature. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Why? Because it's hard. Because it's hard. Those of us who have repented of our sin and put our faith and our trust and our hope in Jesus Christ, we have been transformed. We have been given a new heart. We desire to be holy. We want not to live in the shame of our former selves. I agree. But our desires don't often live up with our, line up with our actions, do they? I know the Apostle Paul says here in Romans 7, I'm paraphrasing, he says, What I want to do, I don't do that. What I don't want to do, I end up doing that. Can anyone here relate to that? Anyone besides me relate to, I'm going to eat healthy and exercise? I'm going to cut back on frivolous spending and stop watching Amazon packages show up on my doorstep? Um, How about a common one I hear in discipleship groups or growth groups? I want to pray more. I want to read more. It is and will continue to be 
a struggle for us to desire holiness more and hate sin more. Joshua preached a couple weeks ago about the fear of God, and he said, the horror of what God has saved us from should make us fear the Lord. Amen. Amen. We should fear the Lord because we know what we've been saved from. The real good news, the gospel tells us that he who started a good work will be faithful to complete it in me. He can change my desires. He can change our desires to his desires through the work of his Holy Spirit. And the end goal, that third phrase, the end goal of this purification, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth is for a sincere brotherly love. Is for a sincere brotherly love. With this grace, with this obedience to the truth, with this faith that we have been given, with our true salvation, our hearts are prepared to obey one of the greatest commandments ever given. Love one another. See, we're able to love one another because we have been made righteous by the death on the cross. And because we've been obedient to pursuing that holiness through the gospel. That brings us to the second, second part of verse 22. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. I tell you, this is one of the most important commandments in the Bible. Here's what I mean. I'm going to read here from Mark 12, 28 for the note takers, which I encourage more of us to be. Mark 12, 28. This is when the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus and question him. And they said, and says, and one of the scribes came up and heard uh, them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. So according to Jesus who died a barbaric death on the cross, who was raised from the dead, who sent the spirit, who now lives within us, who was the son of God, who is God. When, when he was asked what the greatest commandment of all was, of all the law of Moses and the prophets, he boils it down to just two. He says, love God with your entire being, love one another. Peter was a disciple of Jesus. It's 99% likely that he was there when Jesus spoke these words. And he writes to us, love one another earnestly and from a pure heart. And then spends the rest of his letter showing us how to fulfill these two commands, how to be holy and how to love one another. It's worth our time to look deeply at this commandment as well. First part for our note takers, we're going to talk about the who. Who is the one another? Who is the one another? Are we called to love every human equally? some sense, yes. In some sense, yes. This isn't the crux of what Peter means here. Peter talks later about submitting to the authorities over you, and this is certainly a way that we can show love to those who lead us and to the world. Um, he speaks later on uh, about how husbands are to love wives and wives are to love husbands, and this is something a lot of Christian books have been written about. This is certainly some way that we can love one another. But to be sure, the larger context of this command is how we, those of us who are believers, are to love one another. We can and should have a love for all mankind, particularly the lost. Um, But this command is specifically for believers about believers. I'm going to read to you from 1 John chapter 4, commonly called the love chapter, written by John, also a disciple of Jesus. Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 
Dropping down to verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Does God love us? Yes. Therefore, we ought to love one another. Dropping down to verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Whoever loves God must love his brother. This is very clear language. This is familial, family, brother. You can also say sister. It can and should be a love for all believers everywhere. We regularly pray for missionaries, and we send money overseas, and we support pro-life ministries and orphanages and a lot of great things. But that's a distant love. We are called to love earnestly. And earnest love comes from those you do life with, that you do ministry with, that you fellowship with. I can pray earnestly for someone I've never met, but I cannot love them earnestly. For us here at North Star, that means members and regular attenders, those that we've committed uh, those who have committed to North Star and made this their home church. And Ms. Visitor, make no mistake, we're glad you're here. We're thankful you're here. We want to get to know you that we may love you earnestly. So that's the who. Who are we to love? The believers that we fellowship with. Second part here would be the how. How are we to love one another? We're about to get practical, note takers. Pencils ready. This is not... A seminary, this is not theology class. Peter's not pondering love like, what's the meaning of life? Um, That's not a Derek Zoolander reference. Let me show you. Someone has seen it. My son loves anime. Sorry, I'm going to out him here as a weeb. He did not get this from me. This is not an inherited trait. Subbed, not dubbed. He loves anime. He's practically fluent in Japanese. He has multiple katanas. He has anime posters on his wall. He watches it all the time, talks about it all the time. Oh, my gosh. He talks in painstaking detail about every episode he watches. It really hurts me to admit this, but my son has an anime tattoo. Ladies, if you want a good, happy life, marry someone who loves you the way my son loves anime. I do not have to force him to watch anime. Isaac, no homework until you watch Attack on Titan. That does not happen. He loves anime. It's evident in every part of his life. You know what he doesn't love? Homework. Kids, amen? Okay. When you love something earnestly, it is evident. In John 13, John 13, we come to the Last Supper. This is the point where Jesus is about to be betrayed. And as John puts it, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world. So Jesus, in his last meal with the disciples, he gets down and he washes the disciples' feet. And then literally, in some of his last words to his disciples, he says, in verse 34 of chapter 13, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love one another, love one another, love one another. The world is about to change, literally starting tomorrow. Love one another. 
By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Just like Isaac is marked quite literally on his shoulder with what he loves, we are to be marked by our love for one another. So what does it look like to love one another? I think I can think of any number of examples, but today I've identified four that we're going to go through, four ways that we can love one another. First way is we commit to one another. We commit to one another. As an aside, you may have heard it said marriage is a commitment, and it is. We're not talking about marriage, but you've heard that, right? Marriage is a commitment. Marriage is the ultimate testament to human love. Mind you, all the single ladies, this is not all long walks on the beach and roses. Emotions fade. Diapers need to be changed. Husbands put on a few pounds. Finances are stressful. Marriage works not because of some arbitrary emotion of love you feel. Marriage works because of the commitment that you make to each other before God and say, no matter what, I commit to you. Scripture makes it clear we are to commit to one another. Second chapter of Acts, Acts chapter 2, is probably my favorite scripture passage in the entire Bible. Um, It's rare that I can get through a reading of it without tearing up. It is just a beautiful picture. Remember, Christ, dead, resurrected, sends into heaven, tells his apostles, wait there for me and I will come with you. They're waiting in the room. They're filled with the Holy Spirit and they go out and start preaching the gospel and prophesying in multiple tongues. It says in verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers and awe came over every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What a powerful vision of what the church should look like. Powerful vision. Let me paint a picture in the third installment of the Matrix, Matrix Revolutions. Okay, there's a very tense scene. Neo is held captive by the Merovingian, who's a bad guy if you haven't seen it. And Trinity and Morpheus go to rescue him. Okay, very tense. They walk in, and everyone's got their guns out. It's a big standoff, right? And they're like, release Neo, or we're all going to die right here, right now, okay? The Merovingian knew that she was not bluffing. She was willing to die. They're all going to go down. Mutually assured destruction if he didn't release Neo. So he releases Neo. Great. Fast forward. Fast forward a little bit in the movie. Neo knows he has to go to the machine city. He's got to fight Agent Smith. And Trinity's like, I'm coming with you. And he's like, no. If you have not seen The Matrix, that is an excellent Neo impression. No. And he says, no. I, I know I'm supposed to go. I don't know that you'll come back alive. And she says, six hours ago, I told the Merovingian I was willing to die for you. You know what's changed in the last six hours? Nothing. Brothers and sisters, do you know what has changed in God in the last 2,000 years? Nothing. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and he has not changed. The people of God were most fulfilled when we are living in one accord, in unity, and that has not changed. One way we here at North Star live in community is through our growth groups and discipleship groups. 
Sunday mornings are irreplaceable, but these groups are the way we fulfill the command to love one another. It's the way we care for the sick, the needy, and the widows, pray for one another, weep with one another, break bread together. This is not a program. This is not something we're trying out. This is not another night of the week to occupy your time to eat popcorn and Rice Krispie Squares, although those are good. This is foundational to the core of who we as believers are. We are a people who loves one another, loves being with one another, loves caring for one another, loves praying with one another. We commit to one another. Second way, second way that we love one another is we humble ourselves to one another. We humbly love one another. To esteem others as higher than ourselves. I'm going to read something, and I want you to think in your own heart. Think of yourself. Does this describe you? This is 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Try that again with your name. Matt is patient. Matt is kind. Matt does not envy. Matt does not boast, although you should have seen me bowling Friday night. Matt is not proud. Matt is not easily angered. Matt keeps no record of wrongs. Is that encouraging or is that a little convicting? Do you love this way? Do I love this way? Are you patient with someone who never seems to do things right, who's unreliable, maybe who's always running a little bit late, is inconsiderate? Are you easily frustrated when things don't go your way? Do you come to church with a humble heart on Sundays, ready to worship in humility and gratitude? Or are you frustrated when the preacher runs long and you want to get to Costco? Do you find something to nitpick every time you're around someone or every sermon or every growth group? Do the communion wafers that are gluten-free bother you? Love is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Do you remember offenses? Can you look around your life or even this room and love one another with a pure heart? Or do you hold on to a grudge or a hurt? The way of the world is not love. The way of the world is look out for number one. It's making sure you get yours. It's 10% for the big guy. We are called out of this world. We are called to be set apart. Brothers and sisters, we are called to love one another humbly. Love one another patiently. Love one another with forgiveness. Love one another with a pure heart. Third way, third way that we love one another is we pray for one another. We are commanded scripturally to bear one another's burdens. I promise you there are people hurting in this room. There are people desperately hurting in this room. There are people struggling with illnesses and chronic disease, pain, touched by death. There are financial struggles. There are struggles with depression, feelings of worthlessness and despair and hopelessness. There are marriages falling apart. There are husbands and wives who are barely holding on. There are family members that we pray for who are destined for hell unless they repent of their sin and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Remember verse 42 of Acts 2. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Sounds like there's a lot of prayer meetings. 
Sounds like a lot of opportunity to get together, eat together, share lives with one another, and to pray for one another. Fourth way we love one another is we serve one another. If you want to turn to Romans 12, Romans 12, 10 will start. Romans 12, 10. Love one another with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. There's another one. Does that define you? Does that mark you? Do we outdo one another in showing honor? Do we seek to show hospitality? Or do we want to leave church and go live our lives and see you next Sunday? The one another here is defined clearly in a few verses behind this, right? Go back to 12.4. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. Paul's painting a picture of us. Some of us preach. Some clean the church. Some of us teach Sunday school. Some are great at encouraging others. Some are able to tithe more. Some serve as deacons and are able just to get stuff done, the business of the church that needs to be taken care of. Seeing them out there putting snow melt on the walkway on Sunday mornings. Some of us are able to mercifully sit with the sick and the brokenhearted and be a listening ear. We are one body, North Star. We, we are one body. We all have unique things that we can offer to one another. And we have a biblical, God-ordained duty to use our gifts and our talents and our abilities to serve one another, to love one another. God made us as members of a body. We individually are not a complete body. Christ is our head. We are the members of this body. We need each other. I need you. I need you. Okay, so what if you feel you don't have much to contribute? You're depressed. You're hopeless. You're sick. Maybe you're needy. Guess what? This is good. We need you. We need you. Church is not a bunch of perfect people who have everything all figured out, and we need to go find some stranger to help. Sometimes your part in this body is going to be needy to give us a chance to serve you, to give us someone to earnestly pray for, to give us someone to bring a meal to or share a ride with. This is the entire point. Yes, serve. Also, yes, be served. For those of you taking notes, this is also the application portion. I don't want you to walk away intellectually agreeing that, yes, it's important to love one another. And that, yeah, even those I've committed to church to do, to do church with, right? I want you to see that this is a call for you. It's a call for me. It's a call for all of us. Literally, straight from the mouth of Jesus, that you now see it is scripturally imperative that we meet together with one another, even in homes, praying and breaking bread. That you seek to be humble, to be forgiving, 
be trusting of your fellow believer, all of whom I promise are just as imperfect and flawed as you are. That you commit to praying for your brothers and sisters, mercifully carrying their burdens up to heaven to the Almighty. And that you serve one another, even this body, as you have been gifted. That is how we will love one another. Moving down to verse 23. Verse 23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. So, why should we love like this? Because we have been forgiven. Our sins have been paid for, not by anything earthly that will perish, but by the living and abiding word of God. Matthew 18, it talks about the parable of the unforgiving servant. So this is a servant who owed 10,000 talents. I did a little bit of math. I wanted to get this right. Let's say a talent is worth 75 pounds. A denarii was considered uh, 6,000, or the day's wages. A talent was about 6,000 denarii. Comes out to about 165,000 years of wages that this servant owed. The goal is not to calculate and use math and say, how much did he owe? It's to say, it is an insurmountable, unforgivable, uncalculable debt. Yet the master forgave him of this debt. And our master has forgiven us of a debt that cannot be repaid outside of the death of his son. There is no amount of obedience or good works you can do that will forgive your sins. It is only the work of Jesus Christ. We have been born again through the living and abiding word of God. What is that word? John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. It is this living word that has bought our inheritance, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. What is this imperishable seed? Everything, everything in this world. From an early age, I knew my calling in life. If you would have asked me as a child, it was never to be a cop, firefighter. Certainly wasn't going to be a computer programmer. Um, never wanted to be a doctor or an astronaut. I did not have career goals. I knew what I was destined for. If you'd asked me, I'd have said, I don't know. But I want, to be a, I want to be a husband and father. God has blessed me with a beautiful wife going on 25 years. I have an amazing kid. I have another kid. <laughs> Kidding, of course, kidding. I'll let them fight which one that is. Um, no, you know, like, my family is my everything. If I identify what is most matters to me, it is my wife and kids. And you know what? I hate to say this with them sitting right here. It is meaningless. Read Ecclesiastes. It is vanity of vanities. We hold the things of this world loosely. Yes, even the things we treasure most in this world are perishable. My source of joy cannot come from my family. My joy cannot come from anything of this world. It is all going to burn because of sin. This world is marred by sin. This present age is ruled by the evil one. Ask Job. It can be taken away in an instant. But the living and abiding word of God will not perish. Unbeliever, if you're sitting here taking this all in, please know there is more to come beyond your lifetime. Think of the many throughout history have gone before you and are dead and buried, and we don't even know their name. Many, many are long forgotten. There is no one who sits in their deathbed wishing they built their career more or worked harder or even golfed more. The end will come for you. It comes for all of us. There is an appointed time that you will stand before God. 
who is offering you this promise, and those who have not believed on his son will be cast into eternal damnation. Verse 24, all flesh is like grass, is like grass and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. By the way, Peter's quoting from Isaiah 40. In Matthew 24, verse 35, Jesus says, and he's speaking of the end of days, he says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. When you drive the 95 through the Palouse in spring and summer, it is beautiful. It is literally a perfect picture of God's gift to us, God's blessing on us. The wheat and the barley, you see them, they grow and they flower and they produce life-giving crops. And as we all know, they wither and they die and they are plowed under. Everything under the sun is temporary. It may live a season and it may live 80 years, but it will wither and die. There is nothing on this earth worthy of your hope and trust. But the word of the Lord remains forever. John begins the book right there in verse 1. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word. In case you're wondering this word that we're referring. In the beginning was the word. And the word is with God. And the word was God. This word is the good news that was preached to you. The word of the Lord is the gospel. The truth that Jesus came, born of a virgin, suffered unto death to give eternal life to all who believe. Is this gospel truth that must guide our love for one another? Remember, go back. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. We love because he first loved us. The entirety of scripture brings us to this point. The imagery of ancient animal sacrifices pointing to the sacrificial lamb of God. The good news that this gospel truth, the word that was brought to us, that we have been bought and paid for by blood eternal not by anything this earth can produce. Everything, everything that surrounds us will fail, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Brothers and sisters, you are not random strangers that showed up here on a Sunday and stayed. You are not freelance sheep. You belong to a flock. I encourage you this morning, please find your joy in the Lord. Find your strength in fellowshipping with his people. Find your identity in being a member of the body of Christ. By serving one another, by encouraging one another, by praying with one another, and by bearing one another's burdens. This is how we love one another. Let's pray. Our gracious Father of heaven, we are so grateful that again you have brought us together as a family, as a flock, as adopted children into your family. I pray that you will let us go out, spread the truth of your love to all who will hear, that you will strengthen the ties that we have made here at North Star, that you will help us to recommit our efforts to fellowshipping, to spending time with one another, to praying for one another, to serving one another, to loving one another. Pray that you will be with us as we take your supper to remember the beauty and the horror of what you did for us at the cross. You are Jesus Messiah. We thank you for the ransom you have paid. It's in your name we pray.